Well, when you get down to it, that's the only thing that matters, isn't it? Amen. Found out right before church that a uh, friend of ours that Susie and I began going to church with 23 years ago in Springfield, uh, he's in his 60s now, uh, he passed away at 4 o'clock this afternoon. He uh, uh, had a long battle with, say a long battle, about a year uh, long battle with cancer, and I was telling Susie, you know, it's an amazing thing. One moment, your body is suffering from pain, it's suffering from all the effects of cancer, and one second later, you take your final breath and you're in heaven. Amen. What an amazing thing. And it's just a reminder that really nothing else matters except our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with those that God has brought into our lives and that ought to be, our, our, that ought to be our, our cry, so to speak. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. It's a good song. It's a wonderful song. Turn, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the music that we've enjoyed tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the truths that we've been reminded of. And God, I pray that you would help us to not just sing those songs, but Lord, that it would be a desire of ours to live those things that we sing and to live those things that we declare. And God, I pray that you'd help tonight's message to be a help to each of us. Lord, there's really not one of us tonight that doesn't need this from one perspective or another. And so I pray that you'd help us this evening to apply it to our lives however you would see fit. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, you may remember, we continued looking at chapter 14. And in doing so, we watched as Paul continued his words and his uh, information on the subject of tongues. And we know that the Apostle Paul said many important things in the passage that we dealt with last week, but we tried to give our attention to verse number 19, where he said this, that in the church he had rather speak five words with understanding than by my, that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And what the apostle was declaring was this, is five words that people can understand is more profitable than 10,000 words that no one understands. And in that statement, along with the verses from chapter 12, we were reminded of this truth that in order for a gift to be a help and in order for a gift to be a blessing to others, it doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be flashy, it doesn't have to be extravagant. It simply has to be you and I using the gift that God has entrusted us with. And so many times I think there is a tendency, I know I said this last week, I know this is repetitive, but I want to say it again. So many times there is a tendency on the part of some people to think, well, my gift isn't this, and my gift doesn't produce this, and, and my gift isn't as impressive as someone else's. That is never the issue to be considered. It should always be, what is my gift? How can I use it? And if we will use it in the manner in which we're supposed to, it will be a help and it will be a blessing to someone else. So I hope we will remember that and I hope we will consider that in the days and weeks to come. Now tonight I'm going to begin by talking about someone that we've all met. Now who I'm talking about and who you may be thinking of may be two completely different people, but we've all met the same person in general. And just to let you know, this is somewhat of a lengthy 
thought that we're going to be considering. But here's the thing. If we can agree on the principle of what I'm about to talk about, it'll make the message go a whole lot easier in a few moments, okay? All right. So who is this person that we have all met, though it is probably different for each of us? Well, that person would be this one. The one who has never grown up. You ever met someone like that? You ever known someone like that? Come across their path? That individual may be a man, may be a woman, but we would say something like this, that person has just never grown up. It's not that they're not old enough by way of years on this earth to not be considered an adult. It's just that they've never grown up. Now, as we've known people like that, I think if you and I were to spend time talking about it tonight, I think what we would realize and what we would agree on is this, is that there are many different factors that can cause us to say of certain people, my goodness, they're just not grown up. They're still a child in an adult's body. Would you agree with that? If you're not sure what I'm talking about, we could say it like this. Have you ever known the person who should be a grown-up and yet it seems like they've never been able to land a job or once they landed a job they couldn't seem to ever keep a job? And anytime you talk to them about it, it's never their fault. It's always the employer's fault. You know, I just can't find a good job. You know, I just can't just get a job. I, I just, you know, whenever I got the job, they promised me this. But, but then, you know, it, it didn't turn out and materialize the way that they said it was going to, to materialize. And so, yeah, it's not my fault. And it just happens to be that way with about five or six employers every year. It is always someone else's fault, and they just can't get a job or they cannot keep a job. It might look like this in, in some manner. They never have any money. Now, it could be that it's because they don't have a job, but it could be that they never have any money because they are always spending it foolishly on things they don't need. I'm not talking about the person who works hard, makes their money, pays all their bills, and at the end of the week they'd have to be honest and say, you know what, I don't have a lot of money right now. That is a position that many people are in. What I'm talking about is, is the one who just never has any money, but they've always got toys that they've spent their money on. You ever known them? That's when you want to say, just grow up. Toys are for little people, not big people but they're always spending their money on foolish things. It's the grown-up who still likes to party like the frat kid in college. Have you ever known people like that and you just want to say, grow up? You don't have to go out and party every Friday night. You don't have to go out and party every Saturday night. Just grow up. It could be the person who is just the victim in general. They are always the victim of someone else's actions toward them. Grow up. Just grow up. Now, I could name people like that. You could name people like I've just described. We understand it. We get the idea. And here's the world that you and I live in. Those people that we would say to grow up, they think they are grown up. 
They think they're big kids. And they think they've all got it all together and they don't know how pathetic it really is, right? Right. So also in this world that we live in, here's what we've also got. We've got people who like to psychoanalyze these adults who have never grown up. And give these big people excuses for why they still act like little people. Am I telling us the truth or are you like, nope, no, no. Yeah, I, I think I'm telling us the truth. So you have people who say things like this, well, you know, they came from a really bad home. And you want to say, and? I, I'm not saying that coming from a bad home didn't hurt the process a little bit, but I mean, that, that can't be the only excuse. Well, you know, he grew up without a father, so he's going to have issues for the rest of his life. No, that's called a cop-out. Because, see, the truth of the matter is this, is there are many people who have been raised in bad homes. There have been many boys who have been raised in homes without father figures. There have been many people who have been raised in, in terrible, terrible, terrible situations, and somehow they managed to grow up. So why is it that some people never grow up? It's actually very simple. It's because they've chosen not to. Now again, they think they're grown up. But the reason they are still blaming everyone for everything, the reason that they're still buying toys and, and partying like teenagers, the reason they're still doing all of these foolish things is because they have chosen to not grow up. I'm only going to go this far, and here is where the maturing process ends for me. Now, they wouldn't say it like that, but that's the truth. Now, as we think about that, tonight I want us to think about the believers of Corinth. As we think about the believers of Corinth, here is what we know. We know that these were not men and women who grew up in church. These were not second and third generation Christians who had been spared, who had been sheltered, who had been kept from the things of this world. No, these were men and women who in chapter 6, Paul was listing some sins and he was saying things like this. You know, there's the sin of immorality, there's the sin of adultery, there's the sin of fornication, there's the sin of homosexuality, some of, you know, the, the sin of covetousness, the sin of drunkenness. And as he, as he lists all these sins, he says, of which some of you were a party to, you were guilty of, this was the lifestyle that you were saved out of. Okay, so you could go back to chapter 6 and you can read that. And so again, what you're reminded of in chapter 6 is this, is that these people were not saved out of Christian homes. No, they were saved out of a very ungodly lifestyle, many of them. And now as a result of the different influences in their lives, they have come together and they have made up this church body, this church family. And as they have come together in this church body, and as they have made up this church family, what have we seen from the beginning of Paul's letter to these believers? We've seen him address the issue of their division, correct? 
because they were fragmented and they were divided and there were some who were loyal to Paul, Apollos and Cephas and Christ and, and there were those issues of loyalty to different people and really that was nothing more than the result of selfishness and immaturity. As we go a little bit further into the chapters, or one of the main things that we see is this, is, is that the church had a, a member in particular who was very immoral or involved in a very immoral relationship with the family member. And what was the church family doing? Well, they were just overlooking it. They were doing nothing with it. They were just acting like, well, you know, it's not affecting anyone else. What's the big deal? What's the issue? And that was something that the Apostle Paul had to confront and deal with. And, and then you look at... Some of the other issues that the church had as far as sin in the church, they were, again, very selfish, and that's why Paul had to address the subject of when you go to the Lord's house, it's not for you to have your little group over here and your little group over here. No, you're a church family, and, and he dealt extensively, did he not, with the subject of what biblical love looks like? Well, why would you deal with that so extensively, Paul? Because they needed help on the matter because they were not loving each other as they were supposed to. And then by the time we get to verses or chapters 12, 13, and 14, what are we watching? We're watching as the believers of Corinth. They are distorting and perverting the gifts, primarily the gift of tongues. Right? They are using their gifts, so to speak, for the edification of self rather than the edification of the church. And so if you were to look at the church and where they came from, the members in particular, if you were to look at the lifestyles that they were saved out of and maybe the home lives that they had grown up in, can you imagine if that church existed in today's culture? Wait, we should be able to imagine as a result of that church existence, if there were someone taken from today's society and taken back a couple thousand years ago and put in this church in Corinth, can you hear some of the excuses that would be made on behalf of this church? Well, you don't understand. They came from a home where they didn't have a father, and therefore he was raised simply by his mother. As a result, he was a bit effeminate, and as a result, that is what drew him to the, the other men and the other boys that he grew up around, and that's why he was a homosexual, and, and, and that's why he has struggled with that all of his life. Can, can you hear some excuses like that being made? Of course. Can you hear excuses like this? Well, you know, we've done some research and we've done some study and, and what we have found out is this, is, is that alcoholism is not really a sin. It, it's something that you're born with and, and there's something that goes wrong in the brain and, and you really can't help it. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I, I mean, does that sound like our culture today? It does. Can you imagine the subject of fornication? Well, you know, I mean, young people are going to be young people. You, you really can't expect young people to abstain, can you? 
So if you look at where these people have come from, I mean, they, they've got this in their past, and they've got this in their past, and they've got this in their past. Well, you know, it's really no wonder that the church is in the position it's in. It's really no wonder that the church is struggling in the manner in which it is. And really, what more could you expect with people who have come from such dysfunctional backgrounds? You know what the Apostle Paul would have said to that? It's a bunch of hooey. The Apostle Paul was looking at a group of believers and he was looking at their issues of sin. He was looking at everything that he knew many of them had come from and he knew where they were at in their spiritual lives. And you know what Paul was going to say to the body of believers? It's very simple. He was going to say this. Grow up. Grow up. <laughs> so you were a homosexual. I understand. Grow up. So you have drunkenness in your background. I understand. Grow up. Let's get past this. You know, so there was immorality issues and there were fornication issues and, and, and you've struggled with that. I, I understand that you struggled with it. Now, I'm telling you what to do with it. Grow up. So that's resulted in this division in the church. I'm telling you right now, grow up. It's resulted in these different factions in the church, and now you're loyal to this one and loyal to this one and loyal to this one. Paul says, grow up. Well, you have a hard time loving the way that you're supposed to because you grew up in a home with a man with a violent temper. Paul says, get over it and grow up. You're now distorting the gifts that you've been given and, and you want to excuse it and you want to call it legitimate. Paul says to them, listen, grow up. There's no excuse for this. It doesn't matter how you psychoanalyze it. It doesn't matter how you evaluate it. It doesn't matter how you look at it. The truth of the matter is this. Believers of Corinth, here's what you need to do. You just need to grow up. Well, how do we know? Well, notice in verse number 20, keeping in mind the context of all this, it's in light of the, the gifts being distorted, the subject of tongues. Notice he says in the first part of verse number 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Be not children in understanding. What does it mean when Paul speaks of their understanding? It is dealing with this. A person's perception of things or a person's judgment regarding things. Does this make sense? All right, so he's looking at believers there in Corinth, and it could be any number of issues that the Apostle Paul was addressing. It just so happens to be inserted right here in the midst of Paul's uh, discourse or his writings about the subject of tongues. But he says this, brethren... Here is what needs to happen when it comes to your understanding, when it comes to your perception, when it comes to your judgment. Here is what you need not be. You need not be children. See, what are children generally and typically known for? They're generally and typically known for a lack of perception and a lack of good judgment, right? 
So many times you look at what a child is willing to do and you scratch your head and you say to yourself, that kid has no judgment whatsoever, right? You look at what they are willing to say. You look at what they are willing to to engage in and you think to yourself sometimes that kid has no discernment. They have no understanding of how dangerous that was, how serious it was. And so here's the thought process. Here's the idea behind it. The Apostle Paul said to them, he said, now listen, in your understanding and your perception of things, and how you judge things and how you determine things, do not be children, do not be childlike, do not be immature. That is not what we're striving for. Be not children. The next statement is a little bit interesting. He goes on to say, How be it in malice, be ye children. What does it mean whenever he speaks of malice? Well, it's simply a, a reference to sin or wickedness or depravity. So Paul said when it comes to that which is malice or that which would be sin or evil or wickedness, here's what you do want to be. You do want to be childlike. Was Paul suggesting it's okay to be sinful? Well, no. But if you think about it, most children don't have that big and shocking and alarming of sins in their lives, right? Most children, what they wrestle with by way of sin, it's not to make light of their sin nature, but if you look at what children are are generally and typically dealing with, it's not what we might call the major issues of life. Paul knew that everyone was born a sinner, okay? So Paul is not, again, making excuses or allowances for sin. But we understand that because of sins that a person can engage in, there are different consequences for those sins, right? Okay, so let me ask you something. Just let's be honest real quick. Do you have sin mastered in your life? Okay, I don't. None of us have sin mastered in our lives. All right? But it should be, the Apostle Paul seems to be indicating, is this. Is that what you are wrestling with really ought not be the major struggles of life at this point. There should be some victories. There should be some battles won. You should be over certain things. And so, brethren, be not children in your understanding when it comes to your discernment, when it comes to to your perception, when it comes to your judgment. Do not be children, howbeit in malice, in those areas of sin. Here is what you do want to be. You want to be childlike. You want it to be that what you're dealing with and what you're wrestling with with and, and what you're, you know, working on would be the smaller things in life because you've gotten victory over the bigger struggles of life. But notice what he said after that. He just said this, but in understanding, be men. So when it comes to your perception, when it comes to your discernment, when it comes to your your awareness, when it comes to your judgment, here's what you need to be. You need to be men. So what does that mean? It means this. 
grow up. Do you see the problem here in the church? They're divided because of their loyalties to different preachers in their lives. And that was a sign of immaturity. Now, according to their perception and according to their judgment, they thought that was acceptable and they thought that was all right. And Paul said, come on now, that is childish, that is immature. Stop acting like children and have the judgment and the perception of someone with some maturity. Grow up. You're allowing this immorality in the church to take place. And you're not saying anything about it. You're not doing anything about it. Well, friends, that was a sign of immaturity among the believers. And Paul said, listen, don't be children in your understanding. You want to be men in your understanding. Come on, a man with some maturity, a man with some discernment would know this is wrong and it needs to be addressed and it needs to be dealt with. The subject of love, the subject of perverting gifts so as to edify self and not to edify the church. Listen, wherever you want to implement the principle, though it's in the context of the tongues and the twisting of the gifts, the principle is the same. Church, use some discernment and grow up and realize these things ought not be so in your church and in your personal lives. Now, I don't know if I could prove this. The only way that I could probably even come close to proving it is to just simply say that human nature seems to remain constant throughout the generations. So here's what I'm going to throw out just by way of a possibility. That the Apostle Paul was writing to people saying, don't be children, be men of understanding. And I would imagine that most of the people in the church thought, what do you mean? Are you saying that we don't have discernment? Are you saying that we don't have perception? Are you saying that that we don't have understanding? And I think that's what Paul was, was trying to convey completely and entirely. Yes, you don't have it. That's why I'm saying don't be children, be men in your understanding. Does this make sense? For the different church members, it could have been different things that they were struggling with where their immaturity was being revealed But in all of it, Paul was not going to give them an excuse for remaining immature and childish in their understanding. Again, he was going to say to them, grow up. It's time to get past this. You think you're a big kid, but you're not. You need to grow up, and you need to get past this, and you need to get victory on it, over it, and you need to move on. Why should we even think about verse number 20 in today's world? Why why should we even think about it? All right, let me ask you something. In the religious world that we live in, in the religious world that we're a part of, does it seem like there is a lack of, say, biblical discernment and a lack of biblical judgment amongst many who identify themselves as God's people? Yes. 
there seems to be a, a great amount of spiritual immaturity. You just have to visit with people for a little bit, so many times, and what you find and what you discover is this, is that they don't really have a working knowledge of what the Christian life is supposed to look like, what the church is supposed to look like, what the behavior of individuals ought to be in that church. They don't understand gifts. They don't understand ministry. There seems to be such a lack of understanding and a lack of depth among people who call themselves Christians. Now, here's the problem with that. More times than not, people think and believe that they are basically just shy of being scholars. I'm not trying to be rude, but you listen to them, and, and what do they do? They speak with authority. And they say things like this, well, I just feel. Well, what I believe is. Now, they don't have any scriptural truth to back up what they are saying, what they are spouting off, what they are you know, manufacturing to be biblical truth. But here is what you find so many times is that there are people that when it comes to their spiritual understanding in any area of life that you want to consider, even in the realm of tongues and gifts and things of that nature, what you find is this, is that they have no real understanding. They are childish, but they believe they are men and women of the faith. Now tonight, I just want to present this, and we can process this however we need to, however we like. But tonight, I want us to think about this truth, that sometimes the sin of self-righteousness can blind one's eyes to judgment, can it not? So I stand before you this evening and I say that we live in a culture where there is a real immaturity, there is a real lack of understanding as it relates to Christian life and what it's supposed to look like and church life and what it's supposed to look like. And we sit here and we say, that's right, amen, and, and we nod our heads and what's so terrible, it's awful, it's unfortunate. And we act sometimes like our church is exempt from that same struggle. Does this make sense? We fail to realize that even in our own church body, spiritual immaturity can truly exist. And we feel like we're the ones who are so sound and so grounded and so established. And, and many times, I, I, I want to be careful now I say this, but many times if we're not careful, we are no more solid in what we're supposed to be than what the believers of Corinth were and what they were supposed to be. Say, so, well, Brother Kyle... That's where you're wrong. I understand that we're not fighting amongst ourselves tonight saying 
I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. But over the years, I have noticed that there can sometimes be discord among the believers over the dumbest of issues. Could I get a grunt? What are we upset about? Well, I'm upset. Why are you upset? Well, I'm upset because... And then they rattle off their reasons for being upset. Now, I'm just being honest with you that there are times that as a pastor, I'm scratching my head and inside I'm screaming to myself, grow up. Get over it. Stop being so childish. But if I'm honest, you know what I have to admit of myself sometimes? There are times that what I allow to sow discord in my heart toward other people in the church really are not that big of deals. It's not a big issue. And and sometimes what is prompting the division in my spirit, though I try to be careful in how I present it, is nothing more than my selfish immaturity manifesting itself. Can anyone other than me acknowledge a struggle in this sometimes? That that sometimes you get bent out of shape with someone here in the church, and, and if we would just be honest when we start talking about it and telling somebody else what it is we're bent out of shape, if we would just be honest, we would say, man, isn't that dumb how petty I am right now? But see, we're blinded by the truth So when we ought to be grown up, when we ought to be mature in our understanding, we're still childish in our approach. Let me ask you this, and and, and you don't have to admit this. In fact, I, I wouldn't expect you to admit this. But isn't it true that sometimes if we're just being totally, totally honest, sometimes we hold people to different standards than we hold to other people? Well, I expect this of them, but I don't expect this of them. See, that's what the Corinthian believers were doing. They were allowing this person to get away with something that they had no business letting this person get away with it by way of their immorality. And there are so many times, if we're not careful, our judgment and our perception, it's skewed and it's messed up and it's it's not at all what it's supposed to be. But for some reason, we've been able to justify it and we think we're mature when in reality we are... Revealing our immaturity. How many of us tonight would suggest, you know, that in the last couple of months we pretty much got that whole love thing figured out? You there? You know, uh, last night I, I, I had a situation. I was driving in one lane, and this guy passed me in the turn lane, and he passed me quickly, and he stayed in the turn lane the entire time we were driving down the road. Now, for those of you who may not know, that's against the law, and it's dangerous. I just want you to know I didn't begin to pray for that man. My first thought was, what is that idiot doing? Now, I'm sure I said that as godly as I could, But it was, what is that idiot doing? 
I was able to later catch up with him and realize the man was about 130 and he shouldn't have been driving in the first place. But what I'm saying is this, it was immediate anger rather than a right response. What does that reveal when you and I don't love the way that we're supposed to? It reveals an immaturity. It reveals that we still don't have it the way that we think that we're supposed to or the th way that we think we do. We're not as mature as, as we need to be. And, and let's just carry it a step further so that we can deal with this in its context so that we're all happy when we leave here tonight. Is it possible that sometimes we tend to make the ministry and the things that we're involved in about us rather than the family that we're a part of and the church that we're supposed to be building up. I mean, does pride ever get in place? I mean, sometimes pride gets in the middle of things and, and, and ego begins to creep in and, and, and you want to do things for the glorification of self rather than for the glorification of God. I was visiting with someone just last week and I said, just be honest. I said, you want your church to grow because you're tired of feeling like a failure. I said, you know how I know? Because I'm right there with you. Well, you know what that's all about? It's all about me. It's not about the glorification of God. It's not about God's church and God giving the increase. The point is this. I still wrestle with being childish, having bad perception, having bad discernment, not having the judgment that I'm supposed to have. And whenever I'm in those moments, the Apostle Paul would not come up to me and say, well, I understand, you've got issues in your past, and that's what's produced these problems in your life today. No, you know what Paul would come up to me and say? Kyle, grow up. You need to get over this. You need to mature. You need to become a big boy. You need to have the understanding, the judgment, the perception, the discernment of a man and not a child. I don't want to be ugly to anyone tonight, but can I just be honest and remind us that there are going to be moments in your life where you feel like you're the big kid and really all you are doing is proving your immaturity, spiritually speaking. It's going to happen to us. You know why? Because we are men and women with a sinful flesh. It's going to happen. I, 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 I hope I didn't burst your bubble tonight. It's going to happen. You're going to struggle with this because we struggle with sin. But in those moments, here's what we need to be careful of is to not let the self-righteousness overtake us and blind us to our struggles. We need to think it through. We need to talk it out with ourselves. And when it is true, we just need to say this. Whatever the, the, the problem is, we need to say, okay, you've justified it long enough. It's time for me to grow up. Get over this problem, get over this issue, get over this addiction, get over this vice, get over this spirit, get over this attitude, get over this me, 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 whatever it is, get over it. Grow up 
and stop making excuses. You may not need the message tonight, but at some point in the future, you'll need to be reminded, grow up. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I don't know what any person is wrestling with tonight. I don't know what their struggle may be. They may tonight be able to look at their lives and say, right now, there are no issues. They are where they're supposed to be. Their understanding is as men. The discernment, the judgment is what it's supposed to be. But Lord, there may be some here tonight who would have to admit they've been immature. They've been childish in their understanding. They've not used the discernment and the judgment that they should. Lord, maybe the self-righteousness has blinded them to the struggles in their lives. And I pray that tonight you'd help us to deal with whatever we need to deal with in a way that would please you. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.